Hello, and welcome to Decorating Pages. I'm your host, Kim Wanup. On this episode, I'm joined with set decorator Lydia Marks. She is currently nominated for Outstanding Production Design for her work on Fosse Verdon. Being from New York, she has certainly made a mark on some recent films that burst with New York design. With a background in photography and art history, you can see in her sets how she works in the details to every frame. I talked to her about Fosse Verdon and the details and research it took to bring their lives to the screen. I ask about the influence of New York City on her films and about working with female directors. Lydia's films include You Can Count On Me, Broken Flowers, The Namesake, The Devil Wears Prada, Sex in a City 1 and 2, Away We Go, Schenectady, New York, The Brave One, Money Monster, and the Netflix show Maniac, which was so all over the place. We talk about that too. She also worked with great directors such as Jim Jarmusch, Jodie Foster, Sam Mendes, and Charlie Kaufman. She has been nominated for an International Online Cinema Award for Schenectady, New York, nominated for an Art Directors Guild Award for Maniac, and she is currently nominated for her work for an Emmy on Fosse Verdon, the story of Bob Fosse and Gwen Verdon's life that spans from the 40s to the 80s. She is a working mom, a partner in an interior design group called Marks and Friends, she works constantly on amazing projects. And all this, I don't know how she finds the time, but her Instagram is pretty solid. You could check that out at lydia.oh.lydia. Lydia O Lydia. So I hope you enjoy. Thank you so much for joining me in from uh, New York City in your busy day. How is it? Is it hot there? What's going on? Is it heat wave? I don't know. New York is beautiful right now. Ah, it is nice. about 78 degrees and sunny. Ah, it's a nice switch from what we've had. This is the same in LA, so that's nice. Uh, that's that's nice. a nice thing to hear. That's a nice break. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to start with, um, you have a background in documentary photography work and attended uh, Tufts University studying art history and interior design. So how did you do that and then transition to set decorating? So I actually studied both at the School of the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston and Tufts University. The the museum school functions as Tufts Art School, basically. Mm. So I took my art classes there and then my academics were at Tufts. And I did focus on documentary photography. And for me, I did a lot of street photography growing up in New York City. And I was really interested in kind of capturing people just where I saw them, kind of the um, Cartier-Bresson thought process of, you know, photographing people and capturing a moment in the world. And what I started to notice was I would bring certain images into critiques in class and people would make judgment calls on the subject, the person in the photo and who they were and what they were about based on their environment. And I would often find myself kind of explaining away that environment or saying, no, this person actually had nothing to do with this scene behind them. It was just a moment in time that I captured. But as I was explaining this often, I found, I realized that environments actually gave the viewer Mm -hmm. so much input into who this subject of the image was. 
So I got very interested in the environments of the subject. And that's kind of what eventually led to the set decoration, because I could make the environment and create the character based on their environment in their room or their home or their office or whatever the set might be. Um, in between those two things, I also started doing documentary video because I felt like if people didn't have the ability to explain who they were and um, say, you know, this is not my environment, I was just walking past this shop, um, that I felt like if they had words yeah. in the videos, I would be able to kind of um, be more honest, I guess, and, yeah. and forthright about their um, their place in, in this image. And then I realized when I started editing the videos that I could also change that just like you can in a photo. So I realized that it's all kind of a creative process that um, could be manipulated. Right. And that's that was kind of my middle step in getting to the film work and making the sets and the environments. And I was lucky enough that I had a friend who was working in um, as an art director in music videos at the time. And I was working in the Museum of Fine Arts. No, I was working at MoMA at the time, um, New York MoMA, and in the photography department. And I called my friend and I said, what are you working on? I want to come and see what goes on on set because I wanted to be more hands-on and, and making these worlds. And he was working on a Beck music video for Devil's Haircut. Nice. And I said, oh, that's my new favorite song. Yeah. <laughs> I want to come to set. And that was the first job I did. And it got me here. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And then what, yeah. what project did you work on that got you into the union? So I was working on a project in North Carolina. It was a really small film called The Good Baby. Mm -hmm. And North Carolina is a right-to-work state. So we had a nice mix of crew. And I was still non-union. I had submitted my applications to Local 52 to get in the union in between um, before I left. And when I was coming back, I was going to come back and take the test. And in the middle of my project in North Carolina, the union came in and unionized the movie. Nice. So I got into the North Carolina union and asked them if they could talk to local 52 and they did. And so when I came back, local 52 took my resume and I had enough work behind me that right. they were able to just let me in at that point. So I really, I was lucky because that can be such a long process and that kind of opened up much bigger projects for me and a lot more opportunity. Yeah. Do you think it's harder to get into the union in New York? In my mind, it it is, I don't, because I didn't do it that way. You know, it seems like, oh, I don't know how people do it over there kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But um, it's the same, though. It's hours, and then if something turns, and you got to be at the right place and right time. It's the same deal, right, the in 52? You know, it used to be very, very difficult. It, the union... Um, was much harder I think to get into there used to be less work before streaming yeah there was a lot less work in New York but there was a lot more TV commercials than there are now we used to have a lot of them and there's very few now here but those jobs are all you know a couple of weeks long and so they didn't really want I think for a while to admit that many new people but then um 
you, you have know, to streaming started yeah. now they, they, now there's a lot of people working on permit and then they eventually you know get enough hours they get in so the process has changed i'm not that as familiar with getting in now because i've been in so long yeah um but um i think it's a little harder here than in la i think so too i don't know what makes me feel that way but i feel like it is i feel like they're more harsh there i mean it was hard here it took me years to get in well it was a lot of doing non-union stuff and then i worked on a film that turned luckily so Mm -hmm. but i was like and i started out trying to be an art director so i took a completely different path and then like changed around and and even to get in the art directors guild took me years so all in all, I think from when I started till I finally got into the um, local 44 here was like six years. From, oh, wow. From now, like can, working. can a decorator come to L.A. and work if they're in 52? Can they work on a 44 yeah. project? They, they can, but you have to be paid like... you. Uh, they have to give you money for something. You know what I mean? Like they have to... You, you get you know, your, your pay for traveling or whatever. It's something like that, but you can, I don't know if it's special permit or I don't know if you have to give them anything. I don't know. I think it's more like if it's one job, it's fine. If you're going to stay for more, you have to join. Uh-huh. Because and what, will they let you just join then if you have a project there? I believe so. I believe it's like they look at credits and they look at like, you're what you're working on and, and I think it's like a letter from producers and I mm-hmm. think it goes like that I do know though um now I'm thinking of it when Veep moved to Los Angeles the decorator didn't want to join 44 and maybe because that was a tv show because she would have mm-hmm. been here longer um that's one of the reasons she didn't come with the show so Okay. Maybe, but I know decorators who have come here to work. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and vice versa. I think it's different than New York because in New York, if it, I believe, if a forty-four decorator is coming here to work because they've been requested by a director, they match the labor here, so they assign a second decorator to the project. Oh, I see. In order to be able to do that here, so I feel like that's where some of the big differences are between the two. Oh right. I I mean. There's so much union stuff that you get into and then you forget because you're like, I don't know. That was a confusing thing. I don't know. What I'm doing. Right. It's just working now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I should I should have started with congratulations on your Emmy nomination for uh, Fosse Verdon. So, uh, so thrilling. I couldn't get enough of it. I couldn't. Oh, thank you. I loved, I'm telling you this, and I'm not trying to be a kiss ass. I literally was watching it for the set because I couldn't, I love Sam Rockwell. I couldn't really fathom who the audience was, who was trying to watch this film. Like, I'm like, who is this being made for? Because Mm -hmm. I felt like the audience was so small that it was Mm -hmm. attracting. So I couldn't, I was like, something's got to happen that this is why it's so good. I mean, I think the acting was superb. I think the sets were phenomenal, but I couldn't quite understand. Damn, who who greenlit this? Because this was a this is like a chance to take because it's not a well-known story. He's not right. like, you know, he's not a great guy. Why why are they <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? But um how much prep time did you get for for that? I think I had 
about 10 weeks of prep time, which is longer than I usually get. But because it was so many periods we were uh, reproducing, we started, you know, with the 40s, with their um, with their homes, with Bob and Gwen and where they came from. And then in the 50s, um, with, you know, his beginning of his career, and then into the 60s when they met and um, and then obviously the 70s. And we recreated, um, you know, all of these stage sets throughout the schedule. So we we did things from um, Damn Yankees and yeah. moving forward up until the revival of Sweet Charity was the last one. Or actually, Bob died the opening night. Right. Yeah. What, uh, what was your most difficult set? Like... Um, it's a hard question because things are difficult in different, in different ways. Um, Bye Bye Life, which was the finale from all that jazz, which Mm -hmm. was his, you know, his autobiographical demise basically was was a tricky set to reproduce because we actually couldn't figure out what the silver mylar that is really the whole set this big backdrop and the whole set is reflective and it had to drape a certain way. And because we were trying to be very, very true and accurate to the original set, it was really important to us that we really recreated them um, honestly and truthfully that we finally called Tony Walton, the designer um, who had done that film and some of other, some other of um, Fosse's work and, he told us it was this product called Mirex, which is a draping mirrored fabric. And it's the company that created Mirex is out of business. So we did a thousand different tests on different mylars and different weights of things and different reflective materials. And we finally figured out um, a combination of materials, depending on where we were using them on the set that worked. Mm -hmm. So that was technically a difficult set. Um, Some of the other theater sets that we were recreating were tricky because we didn't have actual footage of the really old shows. So we had to go by pictures and the still photos, which we had a lot of for a lot of the shows, they're all taken from a certain angle. So we thought we had it. And then when you start to actually try to reproduce it, you realize oh, wow, we need to make this three-dimensional, but we don't know what was happening on this side of the room. And so we had to do a lot of sort of expository work to figure out um, how how to make them three-dimensional from the two-dimensional images. So those were tricky in that sense. And then because Bob and Gwen's daughter, Nicole, was one of our producers and she supplied us. There's a Verdon Fosse legacy that has a giant archive and there's also a Library of Congress archive. We were able to look at a lot of um, still photos of them in their apartment. So we had a lot of information of different spaces between the images and their daughter of how they lived in their space. And so we needed to keep it honest enough. It wasn't a replication of their apartment, but it was certain elements were replicated like the crushed velvet orange wall covering in their living room that was really theirs which you know you cannot buy Uh, so we got crushed velvet and made it into our own uh wall covering but 
some of that we had to kind of invent and in a way that, you know, worked for the blocking of the scenes also. Um, but that was tricky because we had, it was their home and it was very important that it felt like their home, even if it didn't always mimic exactly what their home was. I believe I read somewhere that their daughter was really emotionally moved by all the sets that you recreated and, and really pleased with like how much detail you gave to her mom and everything. I mean, that's gotta be such a compliment. It was amazing when, you know, we all sort of were holding our breath when Nicole walked onto the set for the first time to kind of see it almost finished and not knowing exactly what she would say. And it was really, really important to everybody that it passed her litmus test of truth. (laughs) And, um, she was incredibly moved by it as I can't even imagine being her and having your life, you know, acted out like this, especially because it's, you know, it's a complicated one. Their relationship was complicated. Her relationship to them was complicated. Um, Yeah. It's not Disney. (laughs) No, it's not Disney. She was very, she's very honest and open and wanted the story to be told. Um, So the fact that she walked in and really loved it and, had some very minor but really interesting details to add so the night the set was done I went out and I sort of took care of the last of the details and you know you never know if these things are seen on camera but they add that that element of of veracity into it like one small example was I we loved her kitchen Gwen was a big cook and so we spent a lot of time making this kitchen really feel like hers Mm mm-hmm and, and, you know, we had a lot of pictures of the kitchen, so we knew what it looked like. And we took some liberties with it, but in general, it was the overall vibe is very much like their real kitchen. And she loved the kitchen. And the one comment she had in the kitchen was, my mom took a lot of vitamins and this was the brand. <laughs> and wow. so I went to the vitamin shop and got, you know, a whole stash of her brand of vitamins and put them onto the open shelves in the kitchen and it was just little details like that that right. we added in at the end from her um feedback that you know in the living room she said it's all exactly how it should feel but my mom loved green because she knew that this sort of mossy shade of green made her hair pop <laughs> and she always really you know she knew she was a star she yeah. knew what worked for her so she filled her world with things that worked for her and so I went out and I got some mossy green pillows and added them in with her she also loved animal prints so we mixed them in with the animal prints and you know came to the final place like that so yeah that was a huge compliment and I think the actors felt really good knowing that they were because I mean Michelle Williams was so in it and I think it just for her really fed her performance to really know that especially through Nicole's eyes this was their space yeah I mean that's it's so important too when when actors are just jump right in and 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 open up the drawers and they see that mm-hmm. we've put in the detail or or even yep. ask like why is this here or anything and some detail that we might have stumbled on that they hadn't or, or maybe it's wrong and one of us you know we, we'll correct it but it I 
the times that I've had details given to me like that, it becomes so juicy. You just want to dive in like, okay, well, what what vitamins did she take? Did she take vitamin C? Did she like, uh-huh. <laughs> like uh-huh. you just want like so much more because it's so exciting in a sense to be able to go that deep. I love it. It is. And then I think it, it feeds everything because yeah. as people start to realize, oh, wow, we can open this drawer and pull out the, you know, let's make tomato sauce, you know, and right. Gwen loved to make tomato sauce and we had everything we needed to do it and fresh tomatoes in this basket in the window. And so they would write things in also based on what we gave them. And it's so fun to be collaborative in that sense, not just set it up as a static, this is our set and we will redress it every day, but we we really gave it life. We spent every morning we would go in and change it just a little bit. You know, somebody mm. was playing a game last night. What was left over? Right. Um, Nicole was, you know, had a um, a dollhouse scripted. And I had bought this big dollhouse in the beginning of the shoot because I knew it was going to be important because there's a scene where she's playing and ends up putting a bottle of her father's um, speed into the <laughs> into the dollhouse and she gets in trouble at school because she brings it to school with her. It's a big scene in our show. And I brought this dollhouse in in the beginning and it just stood out as something that didn't fit in their home. The way they lived, the way they treated their daughter and they sort of treated her as an adult often, um, gave her a lot of independence. It just seemed not unbelievable that a little girl would play with a dollhouse, but it seemed unbelievable that in our set we would have this big, big child dollhouse. play area. Right. Well, that's not how they lived. They didn't. They didn't live care. like that. Yeah. They yeah, didn't really I mean, give they, her her space, like a child space. No, they didn't. They she fit into their world. Right. They didn't make their world work for her. She fit into theirs, sort of. So I came up with this idea that we had this great liquor cabinet that was kind of just at her eye height, that inside of the cabinet with the closed doors, in between the liquor bottles, I put all the dollhouse furniture oh and everything, God, and we ended, up, you know, we ended up kind of integrating it into their world in a great way, and the writers really liked it, so they ended up leaving it as part of the story, which was really fun. And yeah, so that kind of input and then change of thought and then a little bit of change of the writing because of it is just it made this such a nice collaborative process on that show Mm -hmm. I really felt like we were all like a big team making a great piece you know yeah which is so exciting when that happens well it turned out gorgeous I mean I I seriously it's I I've watched it I've watched a couple of the episodes twice just just because well, I'm still so fascinated of like, why am I watching this? <laughs> I couldn't. Are you I don't a know. Fan? I don't know. I mean, I never, I never thought somebody would make a movie about him. I guess I'm not in that world that I didn't know. I mean, I understand the influence that he's had, but I was like, really, of all the stories, and it's a great story mm. though, and I'm glad that I know it now. And and I'm definitely one of those people that only knew Gwen from Cocoon. Do you know what I mean? Like. I knew she was yeah. an actress before that, but really, not really. I really only associated her with Cocoon, so, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I didn't really know her at all, actually, yeah. but I did know Fosse because I grew up in New York, and I right. think that it's probably a very New York story because um, growing up here, he was sort of – right. he was like a star, you yeah. know, when oh, I was yeah. growing up. Yeah. And then I saw all that jazz. It 
probably way too young of an age and it really influenced me and how I understood um I don't know I guess creative men and and their place in in the world and I think it probably gave me some misunderstandings that took me a long time to get over about like the you know um some of the trickier aspects of Bob Fosse and how he um related to his dancers Mm -hmm. and women in general and I think growing up it really you know this idea that if you're a creative person a creative genius you kind of have a right to do whatever you want because in the end your art is the important thing and look what I've created and therefore everything is okay yeah and and, and he said such an influence I mean I I I get I understand that aspect of of showing his life not that it was a it was he was a good person it didn't seem like he was a good person but yeah but I think he would have been a hard man to live with yeah uh you bring up the point of New York City and I mean almost all of your films have such New York City presence in them you Mm -hmm. used to Fosse Verdon you've the namesake Devil Wears Prada obviously Sex in the City one and two the Brave One that played a big role in uh, Flesh and Bone, the series. And is Maniac New York City or is that undescribed? Maniac is New York City. But yeah, yeah I think it was kind of undescribed. We In Maniac, we really strive to create our own world. and Well, well achieved because was... I, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I can't even imagine research for that of like, okay, it's going to be like this, but it's really going to have this twist and what yeah. error, well, like you like jump different errors in the same like building. Like it was just beautiful to, yeah. to watch. Just beautiful. It was, it reminded me a lot. I did this film um, several years ago called Synecdoche, New York. Oh, yes. That was a yeah. Charlie Kaufman movie. Yeah. And that, I think, you know, maybe um, 20 people actually went to the movies and I... saw it, but it got great reviews. <laughs> I saw it. But not at the movies, but I saw it. <laughs> it's a tough movie. And Philip Seymour is... Hoffman actually said it was the hardest role he ever played. It was really hard. But Maniac took a lot of what we were doing in Synecdoche and made Mm -hmm. it a little easier to digest I think but Mm -hmm. that idea of time shifting and worlds within worlds that was all also in Synecdoche interestingly but yes New York has played a huge part as I always think of New York as kind of one of the characters in my movie yeah in my show and yeah I have definitely been drawn to projects that that New York is a character in itself and you've done, I mean, from high end to, you know, back alleys. I mean, it's it's really, but but you feel, I guess your projects, you you know that they're in, there's no denying that it's New York City. And do you like shooting on locations then? Or do you prefer like stage work? Um, I actually like both, but for different reasons. I mean, you know, the, it's nice to have the total control of, the stage work and be able to start from scratch and make it exactly what we all want it to be. Yeah. But there is some aspect of shooting on location that I think feeds creativity, which is kind of dealing with the unexpected, Mm -hmm. you know, and on stage work, you can do it too, where 
something you've ordered maybe comes in we like to call it the stonehenge moment where we're like <laughs> oh <laughs> i thought that was five feet oh five yeah <laughs> yeah oh. oh that doesn't work oh and i call it the oh shit moment of like oh shit <laughs> wait a minute all those shelves i gotta do all those shelves oh 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 yeah. okay yeah, or the sign guy that thought that the sign was supposed to be 10 inches when you read it really meant 10 feet, and you're like, oh, no. Um, but those kind of mistakes, I think, often, I try to embrace them because working around those kinds of things and the unexpected things, I think sometimes come up with solutions that make your sets feel less... Um, planned and mm -hmm. precise in a, in a more naturalistic way because that's real life that's the real life that gets into it and um i kind of love that yeah i like location work i don't like being hindered by like you can't make holes and you know we, mm -hmm. we can't move that or work around that or hide this and like you can't you know you can't take this light fixture out those type of things suck but the 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 character of the location, I think, is always appreciated to me just because, oh, yeah. we're, we're out and we're showing we're showing more and we're, you know, being more diverse in, in the sets than 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 the building. But but yeah, the, right. the restrictions always suck. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I, I'm sure in New York, you can't, I, we, I can't make a hole. I can never make holes. It's the biggest pet peeve of mine. The and, holes? Oh my god, no holes! Like That's we just funny. we just go through those um those sticky those like scotch sticky command command hooks like. Oh, I know. I we should buy stock in them. <laughs> I know. I know. And the tension rod, the command hooks, oh, the tension, the tension rods. rods. I don't know yes. what we would do without them. Tension rods. We go through tension rods like they're like they're nothing, and I'm like, why? Where's the one I bought last week? Uh, broke. Like they break really easily too. So we got my my tension rod budget is usually pretty big too. Um, right. I have no idea how you're doing it all. I mean, because the projects that you have are so intense, at least from my view. And then yeah. you have the design firm and being a mom, like I'm barely holding on. <laughs> But yeah, I don't hard. know. I don't know. I, I, I've seen so many, you know, parents uh, in our job and they're still making soccer games and they're still doing. And I, I don't know. I, I don't know how. Like, I guess it's just one day at a time and you just. It is. And and it is. It's one day at a time. And then I'm sure, you know, the feeling where you're like, oh, my God. So our jobs are so detailed and overwhelming as it is. That, you know, I wake up in the middle of the night. I woke up in the middle of the night thinking about vacuum form. Oh, I yeah. Like, Wait a minute. Yeah. Why aren't Drapes. Vacuum form Shears. Yeah. You know? Oh, like, yeah. Oh, my God. It's not going to fit. I forgot the thing, you know? Yeah. And then on top of it, like, I'm like, oh, the kid. And then, you know, everything. It's like, oh, all the medical forms are due for camp next week. And that starts on Monday. And I haven't submitted them. And, you know, it's like, but then I just go, okay, like, do one thing. Okay. Yeah, the next yeah. thing, you know, like literally put one foot for the other and just keep going. That's my like coach. My well, coach. I always just keep moving forward. I always feel like, oh my god, we do we make a million decisions before breakfast. 
Yep. And then like I've been off two weeks and if I have two things to do in one day, I forget about one of them. <laughs> like it's like I, I completely I turn off when I'm That's not great. working. You it's need so to, weird. <laughs> you have you have to give your mind a break. That's what I'm realizing. I wanted to ask you about some of the experiences you've had working with female directors. Uh you had Jodie Foster on Money Monster. And Vina stood on seven seconds. I hope I said her name right because mm-hmm. I love the killing. So um, I know that was great, right? Oh, just so great. Um, I'm always so thrilled when I can work with female directors, and yeah. it doesn't happen as often as I would like it to. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's great when it does. And actually, um, the episode of Fosse that was nominated was a female director, which nice. is exciting. Nice. Um, That's fantastic. One of them was, yeah. Um, and then Jodie Foster is amazing. She is very collaborative and very strong, but a quiet strong. So there was never any kind of, you know, meltdowns or stamping of feet. It was always very sort of thoughtful and why did you do it this way and let me understand it and then we'll go from there and see how we want to handle it kind of a a a tact which i don't think is specifically a female tact but um the female directors i've worked for have all who knows why maybe coming up to become a female director that gets hired for projects this big they've needed to take a certain tact in their own path to be able to kind Mm -hmm. of um, that's a good you point. know work through the system maybe yeah. that's the common uh, denominator for all of them I'm not really sure but I've had amazing Vina was um, also very open and collaborative and I found with her once we showed her kind of initial ideas she would just show up to the set and she was good we didn't yeah. have to um, go that's back to her nice. with a lot of lookbooks and things like that yeah she got the vibe and then we were free to go um and she she cared a lot as as do you know really good directors about the performances so as long as for her as long as everything was in place and she could focus on the acting she was great yeah, so, we, yeah we, I've had we have a comment of we we have a comment of like no no comments is a good thing <laughs> like that's right no news is good news yeah no yeah. no one saying anything is a compliment so we'll take it that's right exactly <laughs> so. we would do for Fosse we did a Broadway set for every ten days we would have a different episode with a different Broadway set in it there was a number in every episode so i would in the course of doing you know 35 other sets all period we would have to decorate literally a theater broadway set Mm. and just one day of shooting and you were done it was all like one day and done on that show it was really a lot but um we would do them and you know people would come in and start dancing and we're like my friends would call me and say how did how did damn yankees go i'm like i don't know nobody said anything so it's great yeah (laughs) fulfilling yeah it is it's that weird thing of like oh thank god there were no notes thank god nobody said anything to me like that's it now yeah oh yeah are you guys done rehearsing because i i gotta go <laughs> like, i'm leaving yeah. yeah before you think of anything i'm going now <laughs> i i get like really uh like my stomach starts to turn when uh, just two seconds after a rehearsal they break down the set pretty much like half of the set goes away and even like artwork and such and i just i cringe because i think i don't know how it's all gonna get back together without me being here but i gotta leave <laughs> like, I gotta get that's out of here. why we love 
our standby dressers. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> our onset dressers are amazing and, and pictures and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, filming filling the frame, thank God. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. I have taken up way too much of your time. Thank you so much for thank uh, you so letting much. me talk to you. I'm a fan. I love your Instagram. I think that's oh, really how, you. I mean, I was. I think I was watching Fossey Verdon and I was like, who did this? And then I was like, oh my God, I'm such an ass. How do I not follow you? Because obviously the iconic work that you've done on like Devil Wears Prada and Sex in the City. Like I know your name, but I didn't. I wasn't following Aww. you. But your your work is just impeccable. So thank you so well, much. Thank you. Yeah. I guess I need to do more marketing on my Instagram. No. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're. Thank you so much. Oh, I love it. I love it. So thank you, and I really appreciate All right. it. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Okay. Bye bye. Bye bye. I really appreciate Lydia taking the time to chat with me. I know that she's super busy. And I'm looking forward to meeting her at the Emmys. Fingers crossed for her. And as I said, I could not stop watching Fosse Verdon. It really, it made me want to decorate. It was just so impressive. Check out my blog post for this episode and what's one up watching. Trying to do one of those a week and it's really making me see how much TV I watch which is weird because I used to watch a lot more TV before having the twins, so that's not good. I break down shows with a design eye and give you some sets to look out for, so I hope you check it out. If you are enjoying this podcast, which if you are still listening, I'm assuming that you are, please write a review on iTunes. It's always great to hear from the audience, and I thank you so much for still listening. If you want to be up to date about our podcast schedule, please visit decoratingpagespodcast.com and subscribe to our newsletter. I hope you got an earful. I'm Kim Lana for Decorating Pages. Decorating Pages is sponsored by Stogie Floaty, luxury pool floats. Float them if you got them. Visit stogiefloaty.com.